UX Podcast is funded by me and Per, together with contributions we get from you, our listeners. If you'd like to contribute, you can do so financially, but also as a volunteer. We'd love your help to make sure we get our transcripts ready and published for each show. So raise your hand and help by emailing uxpodcast, uxpodcast.com. UX Podcast, episode 223. You're listening to UX Podcast, coming to you from Stockholm, Sweden. Helping the UX community explore ideas and share knowledge since 2011. We are your hosts, Pat Axbom. And James Royal Lawson. With listeners in 190 countries, from Madagascar to France. Becky Hyde is a designer and product manager whose speciality is navigating enterprise complexity using lean product management and human-centered design. Becky is a regular conference presenter on the topic of collaboration, between product management and design. And she's also the local leader for the Interaction Design Association in Louisville, Kentucky. At UXLX in Lisbon this year, Becky's talk was entitled Making Magic with Cross-Disciplinary Collaboration. So we we reconnected with her to talk about what collaboration really means, the balanced team, power dynamics, the importance of being specific, and how prerequisites uh, for remote... uh, What are some (laughs) prerequisites? Pre- I was actually, re- I was thinking, is he going to say prerequisites? Because it's, it's a great word. So the importance of being specific and how prerequisites for remote. Uh, <laughs> at UXLX in Lisbon this year, Becky's talk was entitled "Making Magic with Cross-Disciplinary Collaboration." So we reconnected with her to talk about what collaboration really means, the balanced team, power dynamics, the importance of being specific, and the prerequisites for remote collaboration. So, Becky, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. In your talk, I know you were describing how tech moves really fast, tools change really rapidly, processes change regularly, titles change, we don't even know who's doing what, and you have a solution for us, and it's <laughs> called collaboration. And, and everybody talks about collaboration these days because it's so obvious that people should work together towards a solution, but what does that even mean? What is collaboration? When people talk about, oh, well, we'll collaborate, they, they think that that means uh, we'll send some documents back and forth or we'll get in one meeting and hash out some stuff and then everybody will go do their part of the thing. Um, or we'll use uh, some piece of software to communicate with one another through that means. Um, but when I'm talking about collaboration being the solution to all of these problems that we face, I mean, actually working together on things with people. Um, and like the most common example of that that uh, I, I like to talk about for designers is working directly with developers and product managers. So for example, if you're building a piece of software, um, rather than creating a bunch of mocks and specs and pitching that in a package over to the development team, uh, and they go off and develop it without talking to you, like actually sit down together with them and work through the interface together. You know, if they're working on fiddly bits 
of a user interface actually sit down and pair with them at their computer or remotely um, mm. to work on those items together because you get such more uh, higher bandwidth communication and collaboration. So that it, collaboration in my mind is more working together on a thing um, than some of the the workarounds that we use. When you when we're talking about cross disciplinary now, you're breaking it down into into three main groups of of people in your I suppose your daily world: uh, the designers, the engineers, and product management. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. That's the most common triumvirate in software development. Um, you know, there's other roles involved, so you might have a security team or a content strategy team or a brand marketing team, like insert your roles here, right? But um, the the construct that I like to talk about as an example of what really good cross-disciplinary collaboration looks like is the balanced team and sort of the prototype for a balanced team is product management, product design, and software engineering. Um, and there can be multiple people in each of those roles, but having each of those roles represented on a team that works together uh, day in, day out, fully dedicated to one product so that they're constantly having conversations with one another about the thing that they're trying to build. Mm. So day in, day out, does that mean it's, it's people working not part-time, but preferably, of course, full-time with the product? Right, yeah. If you want to yeah. truly collaborate across mm. disciplines, that takes time, mm. right? And so you can't. It um, it becomes really difficult when you try to match up schedules with someone who's working on three or four different things. So if I, as a designer, am working on three different projects, mm. and my uh, developer counterpart is working on three different projects. How do we sync our calendars such that we can actively collaborate with one another on the product, the one product project we might have in common? Yeah. Um, that gets really challenging and often just doesn't happen. And that's where you start to see uh, handoffs and increased documentation and communication through documentation that sub-optimizes the level of collaboration, right? So sort of inherent in this idea of having a balanced cross-functional team is that each of these people is fully dedicated to one product or project at a time so that they yeah. can have that high bandwidth collaboration. Well, it's interesting because, I mean, what, I've, what I try to do as a, as, as a self-employed um, UXer is I, I prefer to work maybe like 60% um, maximum on, on the big project. Um, but only have one big project because, of course, you can't have sixty percent times two. Um, and then the rest of the time, I'll 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 like to use up on smaller things, where I'm I'm not as submersed. I'm not I'm more of a I suppose, yeah, you know, uh, not a, not a not a bit player. But you know, the kind of I clearly don't need to put myself entirely into the role. So what you're saying kind of makes sense with how I've learned to to deal with this kind of world because I don't if I if I do fifty fifty. Then, then I'm prioritizing constantly between two teams, two worlds, and someone always loses. Yeah, I, uh, that's a great point. I can't remember who said this, but the, something that has really stuck with me was this idea that if I'm a person working on multiple projects, say I'm working on three projects, every morning when I show up to work or sit down to work in my home office, I have to decide which 
of these three stakeholders or three teams that I'm working with, am I going to make mad today? (laughs) Because whoever you choose first, they're happy because you're doing their work, the work that helps them do their job. Right. But the other two, uh, could conceivably and understandably be a little frustrated that you didn't prioritize their stuff and maybe they don't need it, but it's an extreme example on purpose, right? Is to like, why should I have to decide out of three things that are ostensibly of similar importance, which one I want to prioritize. And a lot of this applies to people working in um, larger companies or in agencies where, uh, they're not like individual freelancers who that is the job of a, a freelancer is prioritizing their work. Right. But um, a lot of this, this model applies more uh, for, for companies, people working for companies. Mm-hmm. So. But I can, I can see so many benefits also from what you were describing the way I, the best teams I've worked with have been where I actually sit in the same room as the developers and I can sit yep. down by the computer together with them. But also because that also allows me to uh, have a rapport with them where I don't have to design as much because they start understanding what what the things I say mean in terms of what they have to do in response to that. And they, I, of course, listen to them as well because lots of developers have fantastic design ideas, uh, which a lot of people tend to forget. But that, that also then means that I can work uh, maybe 60 80% on that project because... I, I get that confidence just by being there and really being there with them when I'm actually in place and working. Yeah, there's so much that people don't think to say to one another or mm-hmm. write down and send to one another that you pick mm-hmm. up on by working together. Yeah. Um, you know, I've worked with developers like sitting side by side on implementing a feature that they had, like you said, they had this great idea of a more elegant way to solve this problem that I assumed would have taken hours, if not days or weeks to implement. And they were like, actually, that's really simple. We can just do that right now. I didn't know that you wanted it that way. Mm. And I never would have thought to communicate that to them because I made an assumption that it was too hard. And so... By working together, you can like uncover that stuff. And the same for product management, right? Like, you know, product managers have such a deep understanding of the business need and the viability of our solution and like what the market is asking for um, that you can come up with much more creative, innovative designs if you have that context. Because design is all about context, right? We ask 15 questions in order to make one decision that seems really simple, but it's informed by all this context, right? That's mm-hmm. the work of the design. So by collaborating really closely with our counterparts and other disciplines, we can build even more context to make better decisions. Yeah. I'm just thinking now about um, the whole thing about different disciplines what is a what you know how would you identify the other disciplines you know spinning on spinning off from what you say about all the job titles all the different titles we have and how they change all the time i mean how how does that work how do we how do we know how do we learn what it is that one another person in our team knows that i don't know so i can collaborate yeah um you kind of just got to sit around them and find out, right? And I say sit around, like, 
most of my experience with this is in person, right? Like that's the most high bandwidth communication and collaboration that you can get is in person. Although I'm learning more and more about how to do this effectively with remote teams because that's becoming more and more common. Um, but just experiencing someone's thought process and like seeing the things that they have to do in their work and the decisions they have to make or bringing them into a workshop and seeing how they approach a problem to solve. You know, that's, you just really, you, you don't know what you don't know, right? So you just have mm. to spend time with people to find out. And that's the thing but about for me that is, w- sorry, sorry. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> when, you, when you spend time with them in person, uh, you also talk about things outside work. And that's right. how you gain, gain trust for each other. And when you gain trust for each other, that's when you are willing and able to suggest things that maybe you'd feel embarrassed to suggest otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. Building a relationship with somebody and, you know, inviting them into your process when you feel stuck. Like that can Mm. feel really scary if you don't have a relationship and some foundation of trust with the people Mm. that you're working with. Um, And not everybody has all the answers all the time. We need a collaborator to help us. I just think about the amount of times you've kind of uh, almost been tricked by people's job roles or titles. You know the the times when you kind of you know you work with that 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 developer who actually is really good at design, or you know me and you pair have got experience in programming, or or you know uh, we can sit down and and look at the code and so on. That that comes as a shock sometimes to some developers if they haven't worked with that kind of designer before. So you you do get kind of um, blindsided by the job titles in in new teams. Yeah, you know somebody's job title could be uh, not a great representation of all of the skills that they could bring to solving a problem for a variety of reasons. Like, first of all, job titles are kind of wonky a lot of the time, especially in like, you know, our industry changes so rapidly. Um, You know, who was talking about uh, interaction design or product design, uh, you know, several decades ago, like, a lot of this stuff changes so fast. Um, so that's part of it. But then also, like, just because someone is in a certain role now doesn't mean they've always held that role. Um, I know all kinds of developers with a wide array of experience, people who have gone from design into development or from development into design or into product management or have, like, a music degree and have gone into development yeah. and have a way of approaching solving a problem that is informed by their experience with music production, which is really valuable experience. So, Mm. yeah. But are there cases where people do not feel comfortable doing this? So like, is there a personality type where this, where you think that you have to be more careful about sitting down with them maybe? And are there things to think about so that you just don't scare them off? Yeah, absolutely. The The way that you approach cross-disciplinary collaboration is important. So, um, for example, as a leader or a manager on a team, pointing at two people and saying, you two go collaborate now, mm. is maybe <laughs> not the most effective way to begin, because you don't know if those two people have a level of trust and respect for one another and one another's work that is gonna make that collaboration effective. Um, There are some considerations of how empowered people are on a team. So you need to consider power dynamics. 
if um, if there's a culture of one role being seen as more valuable than another and like we wish this wasn't the case right we would strive to think that like all people are equally valued contributors but sometimes there's a culture at a company of a certain role being more valuable than another um, that can introduce power dynamics to cross-disciplinary collaboration that you need Mm -hmm. to consider Um, and a way to mitigate that is by Uh, making sure that people are empowered to make the decisions, the day-to-day decisions of their role and to use their expertise effectively. Um, You know, if you take a designer who isn't really empowered to make design decisions, they're really only allowed to translate business requirements into interfaces. Asking that person to collaborate across disciplines with the product manager may not go very well because the product manager in that situation has the power um, because the designer is not really empowered to push for decisions. Um, and so that can make them feel not, not so safe in that situation. So those are definitely things to consider. So, so if you are, if you are in a, an environment where you don't have so much um, across um, disciplinary collaboration. So you are that designer um, and want to collaborate more with product management. How have you got any suggestion of what I could do? Yeah, uh, start by asking questions. Designers are really good at this, right? Um, the most common feedback around like some tension that sometimes shows up between product management and design in particular. Um, and Laura Klein just did a, there's a Twitter thread that she kicked off just a couple of days ago on this topic. Um, and some of the most common feedback that was received was designers not understanding the business context. So if you've got kind of a not so healthy relationship between product management and design, as a designer, start by asking questions that help you understand the business context. Um, you know, what is what is the market for this product that we're building? Um, what does our budget look like? Like, what are we being measured on by the senior leaders of our organization who are maybe giving us the budget for this? Or if we're a startup, like what metrics are we concerned with that uh, might get us our next round of funding um, that help inform your design decisions so that gives you as a designer the context you need to have effective like strategic conversations about the experience that you're trying to design. And then invite the product manager in in very specific ways. So be good at asking how you want someone to collaborate with you. Um, A lot of times when we ask for feedback or collaboration, we're too vague. And so we don't get the kind of information that we actually are looking for. Um, so if you're, you've designed a user flow or if you're getting ready to design a user flow, say, hey, product manager, I would love to go to a whiteboard and sketch out this user flow with you um, because I want to bounce some ideas off of you. And I want to like just keep it at the whiteboard and we'll spend the next 30 minutes just ideating what some of this could be. And then I'll take it from there. And refine it. Um, so being really specific uh, about how you want to collaborate and the style in which you'd like to collaborate. If you would like a product manager to come and sit down at your desk with you and look at high fidelity designs, be specific about what 
what questions you have and what problem you're working through and what kind of feedback you're looking for. I, I like that in the sense of I mean, product managers, a lot of the ones of product management I've worked with, they, they're people who are very busy. Um, and I, I like your suggestion of, of being very clear because then maybe it helps them understand the the commitment that you're asking them to make by getting by by collaborating you know that if you sit there and do that flow on the whiteboard you're not handing over design to them you're not expecting them to to run with it and that i can understand yeah. that would make them really reassure them that it's okay just to get involved just now yeah i just want to bounce some ideas off of you for a few minutes and then i'll take it and run with it and mm. why do i want to bounce ideas off of you it's because i want to make sure that my user focus is matching up effectively with the business value, right? Because that's the job of designers is to champion the user. Uh, but we need to make sure that that resonates with why our, why our business is even funding this product. Yeah, really good. You mentioned uh, that you were sort of getting into how this would work if you're a remote team. What are some obstacles and solutions in, in there? Um, the primary thing is most teams are not all co-located or all remote. They are some hybrid of the two. And so there's this tendency for people who are in the same location together to hop in a room and dial the room into a video call. And then all of the remote people are on their individual machines. Mm. Um, that creates an imbalance of experience that makes it difficult to collaborate on a level playing field. So I, I am a strong proponent of one remote, all remote. If you've nice. got one person who is not co-located with the rest of the team, then everyone should behave as though they are not co-located. So if one person has to dial into a Zoom chat, um, everybody should just stay at their computers or find a phone booth room and dial into the Zoom chat. Um, that forces Things like, oh, where are we going to collaborate on this document? Oh, well, we're going to go digital first. Instead of using a in-person whiteboard, we're going to use something like Miro or Mural or one of many digital whiteboarding tools so that we're all having the same experience on collaborating. If one person is struggling with audio and video, everyone is struggling with audio and video. And these things matter because it's how you are experiencing working with your coworkers. Um, if one person is remote and you like, people do that thing where they point the laptop camera at the whiteboard mm -hmm. and say, you oh, can yeah. see this, right? Yeah. And, and the remote person always says, yeah, that's fine. I can see okay. Mm -hmm. And they can't, you never can, but you want to be nice mm -hmm. and help the team and be a good collaborator. So you say, yeah, I can see fine, but you can't, mm -hmm. and you're not having the same experience. Yeah. So if one is remote, all remote yeah. is, uh, yeah. is like the first principle for me. Yeah, Cause it creates a, it creates a, a, a power misbalance when you've yeah. got the people in the room. And I've actually, I've actually tried doing what you said and it, it's, it is really good to, to have everyone, um, you know, when you, we've, we've had like Slack meetings and everyone goes off to the to a room somewhere and kind of joins in on the same. It, the yeah. first time, it feels a bit weird. You know, if you've got, especially yeah. if you've got the majority of people in the same building, but you're still saying to everyone, go off, spread yourselves, kind of find a place to hide. It's like some kind mm. of weird team hide and seek. <laughs> um, but but it does level the playing field and it was it was a really good experience. Yeah, it's a fantastic suggestion. I'm usually the person who calls in. Uh, in the team I'm in right now. So 
that would be hugely helpful because that, I mean, that, that situation you were describing there, I, I, mean, I see it so often. Can you see the whiteboard? Sure, sure, I can see it. And yes, <laughs> no, you just can't because I mean, there's, there are lights on it and it's shining and it's, it's impossible. Yeah. yeah, it's not great. And then mm. they probably don't digitize the whiteboard after the fact because that's documentation. Mm. So there's, you know, there's a lot of follow on effects mm. of, of operating that way. And you can't see, um, you can't see people's body language where exactly. people yeah. in the room together uh, might start having sidebar conversations. And it's not because they're bad people, it's because it's human nature to prioritize towards the people who you are in physical space with. Um, and you can see when somebody's like leaning forward because they're trying to speak. But the person who's remote may not be able to express that except by like waving maniacally at the camera, which is nobody wants to do. Um, so yeah, it helps in a lot of ways. Thinking about the bandwidth, you said like you, when you're in the room, of course, you've got more bandwidth to talk to someone physically next to you. Um, yeah. People coming from cameras and speakers and so on, they, oh, they, they, they're less. They take up less space in the room, so you give them less attention. Yeah, you know, we've we've reached a point with technology where we can have relatively high bandwidth communication remotely. Like video conferencing technology has vastly improved, even in just the last few years. Um, and we have all these digital whiteboard tools and what have you. Um, so it's getting better. But if you are kicking off a new team who's going to work together for a long period of time, or there's a project that you feel might be particularly risky, mm -hmm. I'm still a huge advocate for investing in getting people together in person, if at all possible, at least for a day or two kickoff so that you can get to know one another. You have those water cooler conversations. Um, you can kind of understand more about somebody's body language. So like some people are just not super animated, which if you've only interacted with them on video chat can be misinterpreted or other people who are really animated and kinetic might be perceived as not paying much attention. But if you've spent time in person, with people, then you, you have a baseline to go off of. Um, so if at all possible, like for big gnarly projects, I recommend getting mm. together in person. Um, but I know that that's not always possible. No, you're right. I always think that it's best to all to have met before you have your first uh, remote meeting, but yeah, it's not possible always. No, cause I mean, we've got the challenge when you've got, um, teams displaced across countries then then yeah. that gets more difficult to get sign off on and but but at the same time it actually is even more valuable because now you've got cultural differences you've got language differences you're probably using english um as the project language but you know the members of your team have it as a second language um so so the value gained from having that kickoff in one place is actually um even greater now when you were talking about the technology as well getting better i, I was thinking to get people even more on uh, on equal footing, you would essentially want people to also have the same type of tech to be able to be as clear as possible. Everybody would have the same headsets. You would send out the headset to everybody, so they would have that uh, to make sure that you know that the sound will be working. Yeah, this is this is something that mm. Pivotal uh, is actually really great at because um, we are a fairly distributed company um, and we've done 
a whole lot of remote collaboration over the years, Mm. Um, specifically remote paired programming, which is incredibly high bandwidth collaboration over remote technology. Uh, So we've got a setup. If somebody's new to the company and is going to be doing remote pairing, it's like, here's the headset that you need. And here's, Here's the computer that's going to work best for you. And here's here's how you'll like share code with one another to make sure that everybody's having a, a consistent experience and, and one that they have to think about setting up as little as possible. Remote pad programming. I actually hadn't really thought about that, but that sounds I hadn't excellent. thought about that either. That was really cool. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, going to be, I'm going to be searching for that afterwards. <laughs> it can be challenging, but it can also, it can also work really well, right? Mm-hmm. When you get a good setup, and you get in the groove, um, it can work. In some cases, people like it better than in-person paired programming. Yeah, I can imagine that. Coming from their comfort zone, well, they're in their comfort zone, their world, and then collaborating with someone in their world. So yeah, I can really see that working. And I'm thinking now that something that all teams that want to collaborate better have to do first before they do anything else is listen to this interview. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Step one. Yes. Step one. Yep. <laughs> Definitely step one. Thank you so much for, for joining us today. This has been awesome. I, I learned a lot, actually. Uh, a lot of things I've been doing wrong. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. So I listened back to this interview, and I started getting this really bad feeling in my stomach because I was thinking all along. So, yeah, I kept saying during the interview, yes, I need to do this. I need to do this. And then... Uh, I'm still not doing it. I st- I'm still in meetings where we, there's one person calling in, and that, of course, there's a power imbalance there. And I'm also st- not perhaps doing that collaboration of full time that we were talking about in the beginning as well, which I think was a really important point. Actually, working uh, well, maybe not full time, but specifically with Dedicated. one big project like you're, you're like you were yourself. saying. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I felt really bad at first, but then you have to circle back and think again. It's impossible to do everything right, uh, but the awareness of it helps you cope with it better and perhaps address some issues and get more empathy for the people you're having meetings with uh, and try to find other ways to work around the weaknesses of the way you're working. Yeah, I mean, and also mm. the, the whole thing of framing it as right and wrong. I mean, it, we're just on a continuous journey to find a way of working that works well for us yeah. and that that will always change that will be constantly in flux because people come people go so you'll you'll need to be constantly looking at this and saying is this working for us mm. but this the the thing with um the thing about all you know one remote all remote that came up for me this week again uh, bef- oh, before cool. i before i revise look back and listen to the interview again and um, and I, I said it well we should really try you know one remote every one remote um but it made me think about how it's a it's a it's a difficult thing for for us, us as humans to do when you've got you've got a team a group of people stood in in one place and then for that group to agree that they're going to disperse and sit in separate little places mm. it feels it feels kind of it just doesn't feel the the, the right thing to do mm. it's unnatural but i guess that's the that's the whole thing about um, the difficulty at times of, of creating or forming new habits. That's yes, exactly. You're, we're changing habits, we're changing behaviors to accommodate uh, something that a lot of people say, this is like the future, we work remotely. Uh, at the same time, I kept reflecting during the interview as well. So what we're essentially saying is that it's much, much better to be physically together 
But if we're not, then we have to address the weaknesses of not being fixed physically together and find workarounds. So are we moving in the wrong direction? You could argue also that perhaps work, work, the working remote thing is not the best for us. Uh, that's that's a hard thing to address because it, it there are so many benefits to it as well. Uh, but maybe also it, part of it is that the tech is not quite there yet because that's something we've joked about in a lot of other episodes about how you're always addressing tech issues when you're doing remote meetings. But I, I think that's got that has got better. That has got a lot better. I mean, this. I mean, I, now it's kind of almost certain. I, I know when I get an invite to a meeting, if it's a certain web conferencing tool, I know it's going to be hard work. Whereas other ones, mm. I'm pretty sure it's going to work. So that you know, there's there is a. I think there is a different balance now to what there was just a few years ago. Um, I, I agree. But, but where I work now, there there are different tech set up, setups in different rooms, so some people feel comfortable depending on what room they walk into. So there's yeah, there's all kinds of issues. Yeah, I think um, another point I, I wanted to just bring up again was the um, the idea of well, what collaboration we we taught in of of the years about um, you know should designers know how to program. Um, and and we've generally said, well, no, they don't need to make, um, they don't need to be able to produce production-ready, shippable code, mm. but they need to have an awareness um, of 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 the of the of the medium they're working in. Um, right, and, and that is the power of collaboration. It's amazing. Exactly. Yeah, because yeah, I mean, if you if you sit with or you're doing a conference call um, with someone of another discipline, mm. um, then. Um, you you you're extending your capabilities. Mm. You you don't need to to do the other person's mm. job as well as them because you know you're two different people and and that two resources working together can be so much more effective and fast. Yeah. Um, Chris Nossel, who we had on the show, of course, as people will know, about well four times I think it is. Um, he's um published recently um a full transcript of one of his pair designing sessions where two designers work together to oh i love the transparency of that and he's even written an <laughs> ebook about that um yeah uh, it's, it's fantastic um but um but it just the, the looking at it i mean it's, a, it's quite a long thing but um just looking through it though you realize the the dynamic when you've got two minds working on something in this case it was two designers but they have two different roles in the in the creation in the collaborative process and creation process but when you've got two minds working together it's it's not it's not necessarily more expensive um you know wasteful of resources because mm. you you're getting you're getting signed off you're getting kind of you're going forward quicker rather than doing something by yourself then presenting it or sharing it getting approval or getting rejection having to go back and doing it all again mm ultimately using more time than you would have done if you'd worked two people together. Exactly. And this is really interesting because we always talk about pair designing or we talk about pair programming. Uh, we don't really have a word for pair collaborating across disciplines because when we sort of address this in the interview as well, because the titles get in the way. We think a person mm -hmm. is a specific thing because they have a specific title, but the breadth and width of their competence can be so much more. And especially when you sit together and learn about each other, that's when th things start to happen. I always argue this as well, that you, what you're saying, if, if you're two people working on the same thing, you work four or five times as fast as if you're doing it yourself. Thank you for spending your time with us. Links and notes from this episode can be found on uxpodcast.com if you can't find them in your pod playing tool of choice. And remember, you can contribute to funding the show 
by visiting uxpodcast.com slash support. Remember to keep moving. See you on the other side. How many programmers does it take to screw in a light bulb? I don't know, James. How many programmers does it take to screw in a light bulb? None. It's a hardware problem. <laughs>